Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Julian Ryan. Julian is an author, an executive coach, a storyteller, and most importantly, a true people person. Her career includes an impressive number of leadership roles, and she was able to be successful in each one because of her interpersonal and communication skills. So hi, Jules. Thank you so much for being with me today. It's so wonderful to be talking to you, Kelly. It's been a while, and I'm so excited to see you again. You guys are just hearing me, but I get to have a face-to-face, <laughs> although from a distance, conversation with Kelly. Exactly. And I'm sure this is going to come across in the tone of our conversation. You and I are old friends. We go way, way back. So this should be a really fun, not just conversation about our topic, but sort of a catch-up. Um, now I talked a little bit about at a super high level, your professional journey, some of the things that are important to you, but what else do you think it's important for people to know about your background before we dive into our main topic? What I think it's important to know is before there was such a word as using narratives and storytelling in work and for pitches and all that good stuff, I was doing it naturally because it was a tool that I, it was free, first of all, low budget, cost friendly, which is always a big buzzword for supply chain and procuring people, but it really worked. And I found out that between coaching people, doing employee relations, sometimes very significant conversations and some tough ones, and then recruiting, um, the ability to share a story and be vulnerable and really mm -hmm. do some active listening was a way of getting connected and building trust that really played into those people coming on board to the company I was working with. It helped me advocate for them when they had a role later on to say, no, that won't work with them. These are their gifts. Put them in these pipelines. And then even when I wasn't able to hire somebody, some of those people that I didn't hire ended up being clients or referring me later on. So that ability to show up have good heart-to-heart -heart conversations that wasn't from a script, it was from the heart and the mind, really played off. And then years later, lo and behold, I started to study and found out all the neuroscience behind it mm -hmm. and the um, all the technical and what I was doing intuitively was really working. And that's usually how I approach most of my life. Absolutely. Well, experiment first, make all the mistakes, <laughs> and then you go. Especially when I was in graduate school, I was like, "Look, hot damn! There's all, there's all these studies that said what you were doing was right." And uh, but I think being an active learner is something I have fun with, and you can tell I like poking fun of myself because I think it helps people show up and start to relax into their listening. That it's about experimenting and figuring things out. And like yourself, I've always been really curious and asking a lot of questions and showing up to listen to people has really paid off in the long run. Yeah. Well, now when you and I connected to talk about what we wanted to cover in this interview, 
One of the phrases you used a couple of times that really mm-hmm. caught my attention was life affirming. Um, and, and I'll leave you sort of in your typical storytelling way to talk about what that means to you. But more specifically, I would love to hear from you about how you bring that idea of affirmation into your personal and professional decisions. Thank you for saying that. And thank you for reminding what I said, because I'm like, well, that sounds pretty good. What was that about? <laughs> but what it was, it, life sometimes can take you on a lot of journeys where our left brain is telling us what we should do or be like. And I think it was further on in my career where I got feedback than using those narratives and those humorous moments really made a difference. They weren't crutches. They weren't, you know, you should be doing something better. Um, they really worked. And people said it made a difference in their work and their motivation. And also the whole point of showing up. So I think life affirming is what I'm on a mission to do when I'm coaching somebody, whether it's one-to-one, whether it's coaching somebody to talk about how they can better manage their team, is find things that light them up and really motivate them in the day. Because once you have those foundational bits around you, I find that I've shown up in a bigger and more important way, in a special way that I am enjoying life in ways I never thought I would do about my work life. And I find I can bring that to my listening and how I experience others. I, I, my coaching has matured over the years in special ways where I use more intuitive, intuitive skills. And I am, I love seeing that change in somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's not my job to fix it. My job is to listen and mirror back. And if you can find something that has a spark in somebody and mirror back to them and appreciate it and show them something that's hiding in plain sight, it's like Christmas to me because it changes everything. Um, you, I don't know, you, you've always been great about interviewing questions, but maybe in the early years, you might have thought, well, that's just a skill. I ask questions, I get answers, I do really good research. Eh, so what? <laughs> but was there a moment with somebody, a professor or a colleague saying, no, you're really off the charts, talented at this, and this is your sweet spot, and this is really where you bring some value to yourself and others? You know, it's interesting that one of the things you've talked about a little bit today is this idea of showing up. And I know Uh you certainly mean more than literally or physically showing up, but it is an interesting thing to think about because for the last few years, Uh many of us have not been physically showing up anyplace. And so we've fallen back on all of these new digital capabilities and and ways to communicate. And this is my own, I'll speak from my own experience. I do think that the digital capabilities, while making it easier to communicate, have not necessarily filled in the real need around connection, which I think even in good relationships can lead each of us looking for more. Is that seeing some that's something you're seeing play out in the teams and conversations that that you're a part of? Yes. And you really actually caught a few words of a quote I shared with a colleague the other day day, which these digital devices help us communicate, but they don't always help us connect. And also when it comes to the challenging conversations, Mm -hmm. if you want to send me an emoji after this is done, a little happy face, yeah, that's great. That makes me feel good and everything. But if you're going to have a significant conversation with somebody, do not text and do not 
um, cheat and hide your comments or your emotions or what you're trying to put forward in digital. It doesn't work. Trust happens live to live with a little practice. Now, you asked me a minute ago, do I see that, that need to come live? I have seen a strong uptick where people are navigating what they're going to do with their teams and how to bring them forward. A number of workshops I've given where people were initiating saying, I don't just want to bring my team together for a lunch or dinner from all over the country and go to a play or some activity. I want things to be significant. And I was like, the lead leg on that journey because we get stuck in our dynamics. I don't care who we are. I do. Everyone does. It's, it's human nature. And the work I do is to find small things that help people listen and put them through a series of exercises in a very playful, interesting, inspirational way between everybody. It's not hard work. It's very deceptive what happens, but what it does, it interrupts, preconceived notions of each other and we listen to each other in a different way and I get out of the sessions as much as the people do because it's really um, uplifting to see dynamics change and I call what these sessions are foundational work yes have your breakout sessions in your team building but something has to happen when you're all finished eating the bagels and you've put your suitcase away and you're back at your desk or on your zoom screen what's next so being intentional about your gatherings is also important don't show up if you can have a, a very dry meeting about just fact checking do that on zoom make good use of people's time but the live and in-person interactions is more important than ever particularly if somebody is new in their career like you and i were lucky um we had a relationship way before when I was doing work as executive director of an association, ISM New York. And uh, to everybody who doesn't know this, Kelly was a forward thinker. <laughs> we had, she was willing to take a chance when there, before there was Zoom and digital, Kelly said yes to me when I said, can you narrate and interview the, the all the presenters from Boston, they're <laughs> on low budget, and talk to and connect the dots to all the presenters so people got to see the flow like joanna martinez and then we had another gal yael zofi to do virtual teams and these great people down south there were professors about data telling what was happening they were like prophets but kelly was in this almost like old school tv screen so i would wheel her around the room <laughs> in between and I got to tell her that she got to play Broadway because Broadway was right outside so so I digress from your script but I had to share that because it was a memory I had forgotten about but it, a it was figuring out how to connect the dots and bring virtual and real together and when you get together make most of those moments and I call those the hallway moments mm -hmm. the side-by-side -side moments where you can you know smile and have a quick chat with somebody next to you on a chair and then build trust. We are humans. We are animals. We are, one of the reasons we're always very tired on Zoom is that the human part of us wants to connect and it's always overtaxing the energy to connect with the person on the screen. And that has been proven science. When you're in person, you can watch body language in a richer sense, get nuances and be three-dimensional. And 
join things and move away from things as the moment suits you. Yeah. So I think there's such a beauty and, um, and look how we learn too, or other people learn. A lot of us didn't learn from training sessions. You walked around with somebody, you went to meetings with somebody, you scribed at desks with somebody taking notes. And then slowly but surely you ask questions and you're thinking, I, I learned from eavesdropping from my bosses on either side, how they were talking about yeah. certain situations. And, you know, like that was helpful. And I apply a lot of those words and thought process later on. So I'm, I'm making light of it, but I'm not. I think it's a combo in picking your moments and, um, and giving people, whether it's an intern or somebody who's seasoned, time to speak and really develop what informs their context and their assumptions. Um, I have developed friendships on Zoom um, through the Act Story. So good luck for me coming out with the book years ago to say live <laughs> communications and in person and had COVID hit. But it did test me on how you can do it. And I think being truthful coming up with something that's very important that's sometimes personal and true being vulnerable showing how you made mistakes mm. is a great lesson teacher and what you're going to do about them so those are some things that come to mind about the whole dance of life and why it matters more than ever well, it is interesting because you talk about sort of the the old way the in person right uh, and I can think of days when I was in an office and there were some people you literally only saw when you were waiting for the microwave or you were waiting oh, for your turn with the coffee maker. And it was, you built that relationship. I don't know, 90 seconds at a time. I'm trying to think now, how long does it take to make a cup of coffee? Right. But you would chat and be polite while you were standing there. And it's so funny because now we're so accustomed to the digital alternative that I think that's bleeding into our impersonal time. I mean, how often yeah. are you in even a Zoom meeting with someone and you start to think, I think that person's checking their email, whether it's on their screen or on their phone. And you're thinking now you're doubly disconnected because we're not together in the same room. And I can tell you're doing something else while we're trying to talk. And so there is something good in there, if we can be aware and if we genuinely want to build those connections and foster that trust, we have to be purposeful about saying, I'm going to take my phone and put it out of reach. I'm not going to, I don't know, check the baseball game score in the middle of my conference call because listening is such an exhausting, all-consuming activity if you do it right. And you can't, you. yeah, you can't split your attention between I'm going to, you know, half watch this thing that's going on out the window and half participate in the serious conversation. Uh, it, that's the thing that I've learned from all the years of podcasting that, yes, there's, there is an art to asking questions that will draw information out of people. But there's also just as much to listening to their responses hearing changes in tone, hearing, wait a minute, I think I hear there's a little something else you were thinking about saying. So Correct. I'm not going to move on to the next question. I'm going to say, interesting. So what I heard you say is, let's see if I can pull that. Not that you want anyone to reveal anything they didn't plan to share, but I, okay, I heard that. I heard you hesitate. What more is there? There's something else you're thinking about sharing. 
you can't do that while in the background you're also thinking about or doing something else. I so agree. And it's like check marks are going for everything you just you rattled off on that list. First of all, um, spent a lot of time on the phone as well in Zoom. And you can tell when the notes in somebody's voice is what I refer to have yep. changed and it's disconnected. It was an artful skill to have when I was reference checking or interviewing <laughs> people when somebody didn't have their full attention. Because when I talk about the work I do, what I'm ultimately uh, doing with when I do it alone or when I do it with a colleague through narrative is showing people how to use focused listening mm. and build trust and give feedback. So there's a reason and a purpose to everything. Because if you do that and you leave the groundwork for that, information doesn't get lost, misconceptions don't get lost, and it's also an act of respect. Now, have I ever peeked at something? I'd be lying if I did. But right now, I have like two computers. Everyone's facing the <laughs> other way. All the pop-ups. My phone is down. Yeah. I've disconnected everything that needs to be disconnected in my house. And it works. And and the more you can do it, it practices. It's also paying attention to what narrative methodology says about what you're bringing to the conversation. So sometimes keeping a pause of everybody who likes to overschedule um, that you want to leave things behind. So you're not bringing the same either angst or anger or energy to the room and preparing to be purposeful. So I like the words intentional and planning. Meetings will get shorter. Here's the funny part. And you'll probably need less of them. If you do that, I remember being in an interview session. Oh, you're unsuppressing all this stuff that I've tried to work <laughs> hard to comprehend. Of like being in a meeting where it was like people were on their phones underneath the interview where the candidate was down the road and um, down the road across the conference table, I should say. And I remember, like, he wasn't my husband. I was giving him a swat on his foot. I'm like, they are going to write me up in HR. I am HR. But like, look up and pay attention. The guy's giving you his time. And respect it, you know, like, but it is, but it's true. Like paying attention is the new luxury item. Mm. I, I, let's market it at that. Listening, paying attention and giving somebody respectful um, in, in the conversation. Might not always agree, but if you can do that, you're earning some gold. And here's the thing, when it comes to tougher conversation or things are really, whether it's a change, a downsizing, It'll help you cope because people will know where you're coming from. Joanna Martini is a, a mutual colleague and friend uh, has this uh, expression like go make friends and the other parts of, yeah. of the building. She would send her staff um, off to talk to folks face to face, not just on a meeting, go sit in the room. Uh, with <laughs> oh, the horror was very important. <laughs> yeah. And I would always say to staff or managers, go play with the other children once in a while, mm. go find out what's happening from their perspective. Intuitively, the person you're visiting will appreciate you took the time. Secondly, you'll see and listen to things in a fresh eye. So it's not rocket science and it really makes a difference. Now it's interesting that that you talk about doing this, and it's funny. I'm I'm out of a conversation where we we're talking about okay, who's an introvert, who's an extrovert, how does that impact the way that you do your day or the way that your day makes you feel? Because a lot of times we have to sort of power through and do things that are our makeup 
doesn't necessarily naturally want to do. And I think sometimes we need to do things that are scary. I, I mean, I, I adore Joanna. If she said to me, go make friends, I'd be like, yeah, um, mm, I don't know. I'm an introvert. I don't do this. And yet we find a way, or hopefully we find a way sometimes in order to build those connections. I mean, there's a reason you learn about trust, doing trust falls. If you ever go to camp or Girl Scouts or any of those community kind of things, uh, you learn to build trust by, I guess, falling backwards with your eyes closed. Um, you have to take risks in order to build bridges and form connections and meet new people. And those become relationships for people that find that scary for people for whom that is pushing them out of their comfort zone. Can you offer a little bit of like, just a little bit of the carrot out on the end of the string? What's sort of the incentive that should draw us forward if that's a scary thing to do? All right. So I'm at the crossroads of being considered an extrovert, just where my energy comes from. But I skew also to very introverted tendencies, given how I was reared and how I work, etc. I am here to advocate for introverts. They have secret powers that we should make better use of. Because while all the extroverts, I mean, the really extreme are yammering away, Thinking out loud, yeah. they're not always listening. And I have pictures in my head of being at a conference table where very smart introverts were sitting, processing, integrating all the information. And right when everyone's like, we're done, we're good, we're good for a plan, we're moving <laughs> off on the next day, that introvert would raise their hand and yeah. say, by the way, I think we should consider X, Y, and Z. Now, were we a little depressed because now we still have more work to do and it took us in a new direction? Yes. But help your different styles process. And mm -hmm. sometimes the best ideas, and here's the Queen's accent's going to come in, say the <laughs> EA. It's a little more tempered today, thank God, but you know it gets bad. The best idea sometimes is when we've gone to sleep and our brain yes. is working or we've had a commute or we walked around the block and then we're like, wait a minute, we didn't think about X, Y, and Z. So I think finding ways of getting obviously decisions and forward actions out there, but leaving room for layering with a new idea or fresh perspective when people have had some lucid moments like sleep. And it may be some downtime to mull over and chew over what was discussed to see what was hiding in plain sight that we didn't realize we needed to work on. So that's just my theory. So there is a plus and a minus, but we could all use yeah. a little um, stretching. Extroverts stay a little quiet, learn learned how to stay out of their way. And you can yeah. make it fun in meetings, you know, with the hand signals. And, and I'm, I'm, look, my husband can talk blue streak. And I've I've put a timer on sometimes <laughs> so I can get a word in. Like, for the next two minutes, you can say nothing. And yeah, it's, it's like my turn. Nothing. nothing. <laughs> but now, it's great training because you're, yeah. you, you have to listen sometimes. And not what you think is in your head. Oh, the other right. thing is most of us are writing the script of what we want to say, when we say it, when somebody's paused. And conference like these, you're great. And I know you were getting ready to say them and it broke my own rules here. But 
it's so hard to jump in. Now, Zoom is such a leg up or any of these Microsoft Teams from the conference call with phones. Oh, agreed. It was just, oh, I hated those with it. Just the worst because you're missing nuances and body language. At least now you can put your hand up or wave or make a face or do something. But uh, those were just like living hell for me. I just yeah. hated them. I can't, I just can't even begin to tell you. So, yeah, I find out what works and maybe get some feedback sometimes from people about what worked and didn't and what we can do a little bit better. And it's yeah. not about being all wrong. All right. It's just little incremental steps can make a big difference to teach people to yeah. uh, try things out. Like you said, try out new skills that are slightly terrifying. <laughs> now, speaking of right and wrong, we have a tradition mm -hmm. here at the Sourcing ah. Hero podcast, Jules. So I'm going to initiate you if you're ready. All right. Thank you. I'm going to give you two questions. You can okay. answer whichever one you like, and there is no wrong answer. So everything is right here. And I've heard a million answers to this question. Every single one has been a little bit different in some way. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Here are your choices. Either what does the idea of a sourcing hero mean to you? Or what do you think heroism looks like in a business context? And in true form, I'm going to combine those <laughs> to answer and question of my choice. Okay. Good pivot. I think sourcing heroes, first of all, I, I've always been part of the sourcing community first against my own will, because I was assigned to work on it in their early days when sourcing wasn't that sexy or exciting and had to learn from the ground up what you guys did and learned. I think the sourcing heroes are the folks like yourself, like Phil Ideson, and there's Sarah Scudder, and then there's somebody in the UK, I'm blank on his name, right, Ian, and uh, there's the Walsh Scout that have yep. taken this topic area, and Amanda Prashavka, who have made it so interesting, and if I forgot anybody that I've talked to, I apologize, but have made it a wonderful learning atmosphere and found new ways to engage people and get them excited about the function and made it a little more user-friendly to the clients that they're working with, whether internal or external, and the partnerships. And I am a strong proponent when I'm career coaching people or looking, say, go look at this. You're gonna learn a lot about the whole company and uh, or build relationships and skills. So I think those are part A, sourcing here. There's always more than one bullet point. You know, I have the longest title in my book. Why would you expect a short answer for this answer? The second thing are the people who are doing sourcing, uh, direct sourcing in incredible ways in our world. One of them is that the chef, uh, Jose Andres was going world central kitchen that he justifies reason. I think he's doing such incredible work that, you know, he started with the Puerto Rican when the Puerto Rico, when they had the earthquake, and then he's been feet on the ground in every place of crisis. And of course that also includes people in the red cross. I think those folks figure it out every day. And I think those are true heroes. Now, Anybody that can get me supplies when I needed it in my office were also here, but those are really making a difference. They're seeing a problem. They're using innovation, science, collaboration in fresh and new ways, and also uplifting us and showing what's impossible can be possible. 
So that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, Jules, for anybody that has not met you and is just meeting you through this podcast interview, <laughs> I first of all, highly suggest reaching out, get to know Jules, check out her book, The Learned It in Queens Communications Playbook. Very, very funny. What is the best way for people to connect with you or reach out to learn more? Oh my goodness. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I, uh, Julian Ryan, um, Kelly gets to use my nickname, but not all of you. You have to go by Julian first when they meet. That's You're going to build the trust first. A rite of passage. And then uh, find me on LinkedIn. I do a lot of posting and articles. I also am part of a podcast series called uh, Leadership Story Talks by Narrative. We do a weekly or bi-weekly podcast uh, between Jerome DeRoy and I, CEO of um, Narrative. And we talk about engagement, innovation, and talk to thought leaders all over the world. And you can also find me on Amazon and Barnes and Nobles and Target all over the place now in different books around the globe, um, all in English speaking version, but the books are uh, available around the globe. And it really helps people get out of their own way and make fun. So buy in bulk because the holidays are coming. If you use it around the dinner table and uh, your work groups, and then ultimately my uh, the website, J Ryan Partners at jryanpartners.com uh, is um, my email. The whole point that I like to make with my work is I say, what's your pitch and what's whittle it down to 10 words. And I, I show people how to use their voice without raising their voice. One informed conversation and authentic story at a time. And that's what it is. Build better relationship, work with your listening give feedback, and you're in a pretty good place. If you can do those things every day and make it a practice, you've got the right stuff and you'll do much better at your work. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero Podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for the Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.